Welcome back to The Dad Chronicle. I'm your host, Alex Albisu. This is episode 63. Now, as always, you can go back and listen to other inspiring stories of fatherhood by visiting thedadchronicle.com and become a patron of this show today. Support what we're doing here at The Dad Chronicle. Click that Become a Patron button at the top when you go to thedadchronicle.com. Today, my guest is Joe Hood. If you have been listening to America's Next Top Podcaster, you have likely heard Joe's voice. Joe is one of my former teammates and has, uh, I've, I now consider him a friend. Yeah, let's just say it. I consider him a friend. He's been an awesome uh, person to talk to about anything regarding podcasting, business, and today we're talking to him about fatherhood. And we're bringing in a little bit of business into the spectrum of fatherhood. We're going to learn a bit about the lessons that he has learned from his father. Your kids learn a lot more by watching you than they do by listening to what you say. We'll also learn about the three rules that Joe's family has and how they strive to follow them every day. Sometimes they forget it. Uh, They've learned it enough to use it with each other. And finally, we'll talk to Joe about how he implements his leadership development skills and entrepreneur skills in the development of his kids. Mistakes are not travesties. It's not a tragedy to make a mistake. Here's my interview with Joe Hood. Joe Hood, welcome to the Dad Chronicle. How are you, sir? I am doing well. Thanks for having me, Alex. Of course, man. Joe is my former teammate on America's Next Top Podcaster. Uh, You are one of my favorite people in the world. And I mean that very genuinely because you you bring some kind of like a, an energy into whatever conversation that we're having. And I just love talking to you. So talking about fatherhood with you, like I'm super excited about this. Okay, you should have warned me that you were going to say that beforehand because now I'm just all smiley and have a dumb look <laughs> on my face. I'm not going to be. He does have a dumb look on his face. I'm seeing him on <laughs> Skype right now, everybody. Joe, do you well, want to do, do you want to quickly introduce yourself and and like who you are to the world? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, my name is Joe Hood. I am a freelance leadership development consultant. So I have, actually, here's a nice little stat about myself. I have been a full-time employee for less than 18 months of my life. (laughs) Everything from graduating from high school up to this point, which is uh, almost 20 years, more than 20 years. Yeah, yeah, a long time. Let's just say a long time. Um, I've always been either an independent contractor, a, a short-term contractor, or self-employed. The work that I do with that kind of independent work now is I come into companies and help them, help the employees in those companies learn how to be better leaders or better team members through training programs. Less uh, than 18 months of your career has um, has been think. So, employed by some other company. You've, you've been an entrepreneur. Yeah, it might be just I mean, less than two years. It might be a little over 18 months. And uh, and some of those weren't doing the work that I did. When I started my career, I started doing ropes courses, team building activities. So I was out in the woods in the spring and summer and fall. But wintertime, I would go and I spent one winter working in a uh, hardwood furniture sales store. Um, I spent one winter working as a test creator for one of the standardized testing companies. Um, which was kind of curious and yeah. How did you painful. stumble into that? You know what? They had an office in my town, uh-huh. and so they had a temporary work recruitment. I ended up grading, I think, the tenth grade English writing exam essays for the state of Illinois. And and you um, did that all like freehand, or they had a pretty clear cut rubric. Okay, so they had here's what you need to look for. Look for these kind of mistakes. If it has a certain number of them, it gets a 
Oh my God, that's yeah, got to be tedious. One, two, three. Oh yeah, it was really tedious. Oh um, God, painful. It was probably, uh, if you imagine taking the tests, imagine that times 15 to 1,000. Jeez. Um, but uh, yeah, so I mean, that all counts to me as still temporary work. I was never a full-time employee. I never had uh, health insurance or uh, benefits from those jobs. When I moved on from that and could have stepped up to the next step in the ladder for my work, I was doing freelance work with business schools and with companies and still it was year round and actually each iteration paid enough that I could, it didn't matter if I missed December, like I could still make a living by the spring and summer tends to be the busier season. Yeah. Not having that steady income wasn't an right. issue because you've built up enough at that right. point. That's great. Yeah. And, uh, and so I've been doing a great, it works out really well in our family life because my wife does the same kind of work I do, but I should actually say I do the same kind of work she does because she does that as a higher level and, gotcha. uh, and, and, and very possibly better than me at it, but I don't like to admit <laughs> as, that. As, but as wives normally do about most things. <laughs> so she's been working uh, as a full-time person in a consulting firm that does this kind of work. And her job says, okay, we need you to work on this client. You need to travel these days. My work allows me to go, okay, I can choose to take a client or not when you're on the road. So if we have uh, a family calendar is a real important tool in our household. Yeah. And you know, this whole topic of entrepreneurship is something we're going to focus on a lot today. And before we really kind of dive a bit more into that, I'm actually very curious to learn more about your wife and your kids. Sure. Can you share their names and a little bit about them? Yeah. Uh, my wife uh, is Leah Hood. She, let's see, she and I met at uh, Drunk at a Bare Naked Ladies concert in 1998. And Bare Naked Ladies not being like, like you know, being the band. Not... Yes. Yes. The band. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, Your wife wasn't sorry. the bare, one of the Bare Naked Ladies. No. But you were saying no. the band. Okay. Gotcha. Yes. Just want to make sure. Yeah. I forget that's a, that's a very narrow cultural reference. It's significant for us, but there's about a five-year window where it made sense <laughs> to people. Um, she has a PhD in organizational behavior that she got from Duke University. We met when she was in graduate school. Uh, we met in August, and then I called her about a month later because I had just uh, taken a break from another relationship. And then about three and a half weeks after we went on our first date, uh, we knew we were getting married. Amazing. Yeah. How did you know? Uh... You just knew? You know, it was the way we knew is that there wasn't any doubt. There wasn't any question or concern. It wasn't like, oh, my God, this is true. There was just no evidence that it was false. Mm, so amazing. I had always every relationship I had had. Otherwise, I could always see oh, like, oh, yeah, this thing about her. That's going to really drive me nuts in six months or in a year yeah. or on Tuesday. Like I could. There was always something I saw. But we. We had that instant beginning, um, and then I actually had to go back to Hawaii for for a couple of months because uh, I was working on a contract out in Hawaii. I was on a cruise ship. And, oh, that's got to be tough. Well, it's tough when the woman you've decided you're married is you know, on the East Coast. That's true. Um, we racked up. This was back before cell phones or just at the beginning of cell phones. We racked up thousands of dollars in long-distance fees on <sighs> the AT&T long-distance credit card. Um, oh my gosh! I, I was sitting at uh, at payphones, calling her. But uh, ever since that day, ever since uh, I left to go back to Hawaii, uh, up to this day, I think the number of days that we haven't spoken 
is less than five. And most of those were because one of us was on the wrong side of the planet mm. or I was in the middle of the woods someplace. Um, but so we spoke every day while I was away. Um, I came back, um, got engaged a year later, uh, married a year after that. We are creeping up. Uh, we just celebrated our 18th wedding anniversary in wow. December. Congratulations. Uh, we have uh, a son and a daughter. Our son, Alex, is 12. We deliberately took five years before we even tried having kids. Mm -hmm. uh, because of the fast start of our relationship, we decided we wanted to get to know each other better before we invited a third completely irrational person into the party. <laughs> um, Does Alex share a lot of that irrationality as well, you guys? Every single one, two, and three-year-old that I've met is completely irrational. Oh, They're yeah. just a, just a, we called them a little bundle of id. Yep. Like, I want food, entertain me, like, mm -hmm. I will scream. You know, we talked was... about that on the last episode of the Dad Chronicle. That was great. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I wanted to be able to be the person that's like, I want food, entertain me um, for a little <laughs> while. Um, but I think the, the waiting served us really well because we worked out a lot of our communication strategies when it was just the two of us and a lot of our family principles with how we wanted to raise and develop kids both explicit conversations and just tacit agreements that Leah and I had made made raising the kids together a lot easier. And who and your daughter? Daughter is Tori. She is eight and uh, she looks like a clone of Leah. Alex really? looks like a clone of me. Yeah, it's really funny. Um, they both look like little kid pictures of us. Wow. Um, uh, the personalities are a little bit flip-flopped though, which is also kind of funny. Hmm. Um, how so? I'm more of the sort of creative, head in the cloud, uh, 4,000 projects going on at once, and I'm probably going to finish 15 of them kind of person. <laughs> yeah. And Tori is a lot like that. And Leah is very much, okay, this is Wednesday. This is what we do on Wednesday. I'm going to get through all of this. And when I'm done, I can do, I can have some fun. Um, and Alex is much more like, okay, this is the schedule. This is how we're going to do things. He's actually said to us a couple times in the past year, We've told him that it's not entirely okay to say this to your parents, but he, we've said, okay, Alex, we need to leave 15 minutes early today. And he's looked at us and gone, I really would have appreciated knowing that ahead of time. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> yeah. Like, not not in a sarcastic tone, not in an angry tone, like sincerely. Yeah. Like, I, I really, this would have been good for me to know. You and, almost can't fault him for that. Right. He's trying to communicate his expectations. Yeah, absolutely. And, and he does a great, um, he is a really great communicator uh, and also really sensitive both in how things feel for him and his radar about other people's emotions. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's, it is really good and, and reinforce that when we can, but also sometimes when like, look, kid, it's your job to follow along because, mm -hmm. because that was my job when I was a kid. And I realized there's a lot of things, a lot of my mental models about, dad come from my experience as son mm -hmm. where I'm like, okay, right. This is so here's an example about that. My mother-in-law is really, she feels like it's her job to spoil and indulge the kids. Okay. And there are times when we're all together and the kids will ask for something and I'll say no because I want to do something different or because I'm, you know, whatever, what's on the TV or can we go do this? And Nana would be like, well, why not? I'm the dad. Mm. Like when I was a kid, I had to do, I had to make way for what dad was doing. Mm -hmm. And now 
the children. And now I've got people telling me as the dad, I should make way for what the children are doing. I'm like, wait a minute. There's a point in the process where I get to be the one that just does <laughs> and other people make way. Yeah. Um, and I think now in some regards, I think it's a really, it, it's a skill that I'm trying to develop in my kids. Like I've been telling my son recently, look, you need to figure out how to wait and be patient yes. and not have a screen to entertain yourself and let the other people do what they need to do and be ready to go as soon as we say go. So, you know, kind of going back to the tantrum thing, this yeah. is exactly what we talked about on the last episode or what I kind of monologued about. How do you effectively, and I use that word specifically, like effectively teach him how to be patient and avoid that temper tantrum? And, and also, does it stick? When you right. give them that feedback. So I think there, there are two things for me about that. One is when the kids were younger and this part of this carries over to the older age, but when the kids were very young, I never made it about me versus the kid. I just considered myself a force of nature that the kids had to deal with. Like the kids can't complain to the rain and make it stop. Mm -hmm. And so the kids can't complain to dad. In, in that context, I would make things very clear ahead of time with uh, if-then statements. Like, look, if you finish – if you do not finish eating your protein, then you will not get cookies. And this is not you and I challenging each other. If you choose not to finish your protein, I've told you what's going to happen. Right. And I'm going to – and that will – and that will happen. Um, and the I remember someone telling me – well, if you get into a battle of wills, like you shouldn't get into a battle of wills with your kid. Like, well, if your kid pushes you and you let them do what they're doing, you, you have gotten into a battle of wills and you've lost. Yes. Right? If the, the key is, and I talked about this on the last episode, it's a matter of principle, right? Like if, if what we're teaching our kids is not just to, hey, don't defy mom and dad. It's a much bigger thing. Like I talked about on the last episode, don't, uh, you know, if you're not eating, if you're not finishing the food that you ask for. The food's going to go to waste. Right. So I that's what we're trying to avoid. We're trying to avoid wastefulness. Mm -hmm. It's about it's it's not about teaching your kid that they can't necessarily fight back about certain things either because right. I I think that there's something good about having a strong-willed individual like in a kid, but mm. there's also certain things that are very specific principles that we're going to live by in yeah. this household. We'll circle back to that cuz we've got uh family rules, three family rules. But talking about the um, consequences, the big essential thing with it for us is that it's not emotional for the parent. Like we don't get angry, we don't make it a battle of of emotion. Like it's kind, it's very. This is the rule, and I actually first learned this skill. I was an RA in college, so you know, I lived on the hallway and enforced rules and dealing with drunk people. Like okay, they're like they're yelling at me. I'm like that's great. Here's the rule. When you have alcohol in the hallway, I need to take it. And they're screaming. I'm like, I understand. Like, that's okay. I just need to enforce the rule. You can hate me, whatever. <laughs> um, but, the, you know, this is just. Basically the same is, thing as kids. Drunk yeah, people yeah, and kids. The, same thing. Um, <laughs> but it rolls back to that. Like, this is the way, you know, this is what it is. I'm not going to get emotionally upset at you're trying to challenge me. It's not personal. Like the Like we said before, the two-year-old. It is completely irrational. They're a bundle of it. Mm -hmm. um, they're not trying to piss off their parents. Um, and I think parents who think their kids are trying to get to them 
one, might have accidentally trained their kids to do that, mm -hmm. or two, are just taking it way too personally. Yeah. And I have that, I have that tendency. That's something that I've reflected on some is that I feel like I take it personally sometimes when it happens. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I've been able to, like, as soon as I realized that, and for parents listening, if you just take a second and reflect on when your kids have kind of pushed you too far, when have you taken it personally? And don't, like, really, like, catch yourself in the moment. Take a second to breathe because holy cow, it's not worth it. It's not, mm -hmm. and it's not you. Like you said, they're, it's a bundle of id, and they are just, mm -hmm. they don't know what to do. Tell me about these uh, family rules. I'm actually very interested yeah, in so, that. Yeah, um, so the, there's a whole bunch of other rules that I've had in my life. I, I like to throw them out, and it started when I was in, sort of when I was in college, and then when I was an RA, I had a different set of rules. Um, but rolling into the family, those rules were either jokey, like, um, you know, rule number one, don't be stupid. Rule number two, if you're going to be stupid, don't get caught. I didn't want to teach my kids that at a young age. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll share that with them when they're 18. Yeah. Um, and uh, so they're jokey or they were negative. Um, and I knew – and not negative as in sad, but negative as in don't do this mm -hmm. or don't do that. And I learned from my work in leadership development, positive goals are easier to achieve than negative goals. It's easier to stay focused on them. So I forget – exactly how we came up with them but one of the days we were dealing with the kids and it really rolled out when they were both old enough to understand it so look because there are three things that are important in our family when you're dealing with each other number one is to be kind so don't try to hurt someone don't try to make yourself feel better by making someone feel worse like be kind the second one is to be gracious and kind and gracious I had to slice a little thinly for some people when I explained it, but the idea of gracious is how you kind is how you push out to the world. Like you, you, and gracious is how you respond when the world comes at you. Mm. Someone says something nice to you, you say thank you. That's gracious. If some, someone says something mean to you, you don't lash out. You just let that roll off you. Mm -hmm. That's being gracious. It's um, it's giving back. You know, bouncing things back to the world in a more positive way than it comes to you. Mm -hmm. Um, and the third one is be grateful. Mm -hmm. Um, and there are two pieces of that. Be grateful started off as don't be greedy because we realized a lot of kid stuff is about that, what that person has either physically or emotionally or time wise. Like Tori got to use, you know, Tori got to use a tablet for half an hour. Like, well, yes, you were playing with your friend outside in the driveway. Mm -hmm. You were doing something great then too. Like that you're being greedy about time uh, and also not being grateful about what you did get. Um, so kind, gracious, grateful is has been our big push for probably the last six years with the kids. Sometimes they forget it. Uh, they've learned it enough to use it with each other mm -hmm. um, about, hey, you're not being kind to me. Hey, um, you know, I, you know, you're being you're not being grateful or and not saying thank you enough. How um, often are you reminding them about those rules? It varies. So it varies a lot with what's going on in the world around them. So uh, beginning of the school year, kids are, you know, they're in a new class. Um, we're lucky enough to be able to send our kids to an amazing private school that has a, uh, a project-based curriculum and also has some social skills built into the curriculum. But still, at the beginning of the year, people are figuring out who they are and where they fit in with this new group. 
Um, but it's a smaller group than in most schools. But still, around then, we have to remind them with each other. And also, beginning of the school year, we learned from some teacher friends, every kid rolls into, I guess, late, late August now, September, and has about six weeks of recovering from the new schedule, right? They get, all of a sudden, you have to be up and functioning at, you know, being in a classroom at 8 a.m., whereas the week before, maybe you were sleeping in, maybe you were hanging out with friends, and there's not a lot of freedom compared to even day camp. So those first that first month of the school year, we tend to have to do it a lot more mm -hmm. because the kids aren't at the best. They're adjusting to new social situations. They're getting new social role models, like they're not completely new, but you know people that they've known who are experimenting with new behaviors as well. So I think that's a that's a time when it pops up, and probably the other side of that is somewhere between the fifth and eighth day of any given vacation. Like if we're on vacation long enough so that it goes into two weeks, it, it is a little bit longer. But mm -hmm. after being together in close proximity for a long time, Christmas break, the beginning of the summer, you have to remind them because they don't get enough of a break from each other. Yeah. That uh, they just start kind of rubbing each other the wrong way. And part of that's mitigated by getting them out and letting them see friends and, uh, and reaching out to other people. Uh -huh. um, but yeah, when we've been stuck together for a long time, that can get a little bit uh, complicated. Yeah. It's just like spending too much time with anybody, really. I mean, mm -hmm. that's going to happen. And, you know, you, you mentioned a bit earlier, closer to the top of the show, that a lot of how you approach your fathering, uh, your, your fathering, your, your, your parenting style, I don't know, is that the better way to say it, uh, is to say, you know, is to really reflect on the way that you were a son to your father and how your father has influenced your life so far. Yeah, uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about your dad. You mentioned that he is an entrepreneur um, in the past. You've uh, mentioned how a lot of his perspectives on entrepreneurship, fatherhood has reflected on you. What specifically has he shared with you? Honestly, not a lot. So my dad, my dad passed away um, 11 years ago, right after, right before, right after Alex was born. Mm. Um, uh, both of his grandfathers passed away in the same year, in fact. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. So uh, my dad was a very quiet man. Uh, he was definitely introverted. introverted. He was uh, – he was a – he dropped out of high school to work construction when he was 14 because his father passed away. And he was the oldest son, so he had to support his family. Wow. Holy yeah. cow. So my dad never graduated from high school. Um, and one of my one of the things that I feel sad about is that he didn't he didn't live long enough to see me get my doctorate um, because uh, it was a really big deal. All three of his kids went to college. Yeah. And that was an amazing thing for him as a high school dropout. Um, but he worked construction and then he worked uh, as a bought a tractor trailer and became a truck driver. And that's one of those pieces of work where he started getting enough offers of work that he couldn't handle it all. So he started – he got another truck and had someone rent the truck out from him and do loads. Mm -hmm. And then by the time I was born, my parents had four or five trucks and my mom was doing the dispatching and booking and billing and all the office work and my dad was – driving and doing mechanic work and that wavered off and on throughout the years 
but entire time I lived with my parents from the day I was born, my dad worked for himself that whole time. So the funny thing is, I don't know that he taught me much explicitly. Uh, I do remember trying to learn things from him when I was a kid about uh, auto mechanics and about my dad actually built the house I grew up in himself. He dug the foundation. He he bored the concrete. He framed it. He wired it. He did every piece of building the house. Um, uh, and I tried to learn from him about woodworking or other pieces of uh, uh, of a trade craft and it would usually take about 10 to 15 minutes of me trying to do whatever he had set me to do for him to go, yeah, you know what? Never mind. You're taking way too long. Just let me do that. Because whatever <laughs> whatever was taking me 15 minutes, he could do in 90 seconds. Yeah. Um, and so he wasn't a patient teacher in that way. What I've learned is I've a lot of what I do is from observing and watching him. Um, a lot of the ways I think about business, like I grew up and the conversations at the table as I, when I was a kid were about, do we book more business than we can get so that we never run out, but then we might disappoint some customers cause we're not going to be able to supply them or do we not take any business unless we can guarantee that we provide the service they've hired us for. And consequently we might have some dry times because we're not saying yes enough. Um, this was my mom and dad debating about, you know, instead of debating about the family budget, it was the, you know, the family loss. business. Yeah, it was yeah. family business. It was, it was arguing about revenue streams and, and, you know, how many trucks we, can we buy a truck? Can we afford not to? Um, and so that's, that shaped the idea of how we run the house. Um, it's also really helpful that, um, while my wife Leah, grew up in a house where her dad, um, her dad was a PhD and worked for the government. So kind of the exact opposite of my dad, but she went to, you know, she earned her PhD at a business school. So she understood the ins and outs of business. So we could speak that language when it came time to figure stuff out when it came to running the house. And there's an amazing symmetry that I'm seeing here between what you and your wife are experiencing today, kind of having similar, lines of work and what you guys do and your parents kind of the same thing they had their family business they're talking about business and it's relatable you're able to have that same conversation with your wife how are you mm -hmm. doing it in a more i don't know i, I how are you ha having those conversations with your wife that may be similar or different compared to how your parents talked about it certainly first and foremost my wife and i both teach communication skills and leadership and how to develop strategies and motivate people. We had a colleague that was at a session where she taught in the morning and I taught in the afternoon. And at lunchtime, he came up to us and he goes, guys, don't, don't take this the wrong way. But there is no way you two should ever argue. <laughs> it's like, given what you teach yeah. and how well you teach it, you guys should never argue. And he, he didn't know anything about our relationship. And honestly, we are lucky enough to have had a, less than five argu real arguments in 18 years. Um, Amazing. So uh, we've had difficult conversations, but we both teach groups how to handle difficult conversations. Um, that's a big difference between my parents and, and my experience because we can have those conversations that get difficult. Um, my dad was an alcoholic. My grand, my mother's dad was an alcoholic. 
And so there are a lot of patterns that happen in alcoholic families that they were a prime example of and getting angry, shutting down, and then self-medicating is one of those cycles. And, and that would happen. Um, so when there were challenges, there are times when my dad would shut down, be like, yo, you know what? You're right. I've messed up this one thing. I'm a horrible person. I don't know why you're with me and sort of deteriorate that way. Um, so that was something, and I got to see that as a teenager. I didn't really notice it when I was younger, mm-hmm. but when I was a teenager, my older brother and sister were out of the school and college. I was the only one home. Um, that's when I saw some of those real challenges and it might have corresponded with some um, financial challenges as well, uh, but I didn't have a deep insight into that. I didn't know how the family business was doing. I didn't know, you know, and our kids don't have any idea of how things go in our family. They just know food shows up and they get toys on their birthday. Are you going to um, teach them how some of that works? Are you going to make it a little different or do you want to try to keep it separated? So like I said, we're, we're lucky enough to be able to send them to a private school and a lot of their classmates are really well off, way more well off than we are. We are in in a good position as far as our household. Uh, we are we are blessed for how our household is. But they have friends that go to Europe every summer at twelve, and uh, you know families that go off on a couple of ski trips to the you know to the Rocky Mountains from North Carolina in the winter time. Um, and we've tried to explain to them like, hey guys. Let's talk about the, you know, how do you feel compared to these? And sometimes you're like, I don't understand why. I'm like, well, we're, you know, our financial situation is different. We've made different choices and and we have, you know, we don't know how much they make. They don't know, you know, you don't know what our, you know, we haven't told them this is the, you know, how much mom makes, how much dad makes. So work it all out, um, especially our four-year, our eight-year-old because she wouldn't have any concern just walking in and going, hey, everyone, this yeah. is my mom's salary. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Because she's, because uh, she doesn't understand uh, uh, tact. She doesn't understand tact yeah. being tactful at all. And maybe one you know, things, not now, maybe. But, right. You know. Well, one of the things we have done is we talked about allowances and and, and money mm-hmm. with the kids, and they do get an allowance. And we debated the allowances conditional upon chores mm-hmm. versus you're a part of the family, and the family brings in money, and and we share with each other. So. Uh, allowance is not conditional upon chores. Uh, they do have chores and it's separate. Allowance is basically you get a certain amount of money each week as a kid, but we don't hand them greenbacks every – we don't hand them dollars every week. We have a little bank book that sits in the pantry mm-hmm. that tracks it. And one of the great things about that bank book is when someone gets money for their birthday, when someone gets money for their sibling's birthday, which I'm not really cool with, but grandma think, thinks is important. <laughs> Um, oh gosh. Yeah. Um, you know, we can take that cash and stick it in the bank book and, and hold on to it. And our son, Alex, uh, saved up enough money between allowance, which he would just, every couple of months he would check in and be like, Hey, how much is, how much do I have an allowance? How much is in the bank? Um, he saved up enough money to buy himself uh, an iPad mini a couple of years ago. Wow. He didn't spend money on anything. He had this money, he had hundreds of dollars. That was his. Uh, and he – and then when it came time to buy it, I said, okay, Alex, you've saved up enough money to buy the iPad. But if you buy it today, you will have $0 in the bank. And then you – if something cool pops up, you won't be able to do anything. He goes, that's a good point. I think I'll wait until I have $100 more. What responsibility. That is great. Yeah. So I think part of it 
was letting him know there's a consistency of here's the bank book and this is where it goes and you can look at it and uh, and if you want money from it you can you can take it and we'll also if we're out and about it's like dad can i get a nerf gun i'll spend my own money on a nerf gun like okay like here it is and we sometimes limit that but we're generally pretty clear cut you know yes that's your money and we'll we'll take it away and the other factor that's in there uh, more often than not, when we're at a store buying stuff, it's because it's a birthday party. We mm-hmm. need to get a present for some friend, like on our way to the party. And we set up early on with all the parties that they were going to. Like, look, you can, mom and dad will support ten dollars. I think it might have blown up to fifteen dollars as a pre- in a present for your friend. If you want to get something for your friend that costs more than that, it's it's your money and you're paying for it. And so that. Sometimes that inspires the kids to get things that are fourteen dollars and fifty cents. Sometimes they're like, "This is really cool." Does it include tax? Are you looking at uh, like after tax? We're or? not. Yeah, we do before tax. We do the price tag because that's a little that's bit easier. <laughs> it's easier to deal with that way. Yeah, um, you know. But you know, if you know, like there have been times where my son's like, "Oh, my Graham would love this. It's twenty-two dollars. I'll totally spend the extra dollars, the extra money of my own." Yeah. Um, so that's uh, as far as managing finance. I don't know exactly how that worked. I don't know the mechanism. We chose that path and it seems to have worked well. I don't know why it worked uh, with dealing with the money, but I think part of it was. Um, I think it's know, empowering. Part of like part of what you're telling me, it sounds yeah. very empowering to them that they have an opportunity to make a choice. Mm-hmm. And from my limited experience as a father, but also talking to other dads on the show, something that has been a resounding uh, theme around all this is empowerment. Uh, mm-hmm. wh- whenever we hear stories about what works well in uh, X Y Z topic, yeah. Well, actually, rolling back to the the discipline and uh, tantrum. Well, I guess yeah, tantrum, but uh, thinking about it as discipline when you're older. Uh, certainly with my son, and now more often with my daughter as well. Well, we'll approach things like, "Hey, Alex, um, we want this behavior to change, whatever this is." So um, maybe, oh, I think of a. Um, you know, you're leaving your clothes all over the floor. Mm-hmm. Clothes need to go in the hamper. So what do you think is a good consequence for when we come in and find clothes on the floor? Hmm. Um, and have the converse, like, and, and what it does is it sets it up as, okay, you're, you're a part of this family. This is behavior that we need to change for the family. It's not just me and you butting heads. It's for all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll let you, you'll be a part of deciding how this works, um, instead of going, okay, this is it. Um, sometimes there's some where we still do that. Uh, a most recent one I've run into is I decided the, sort of the mudroom bench where the kids come in is at the bottom of the stairs. We walk through my office in the basement and then upstairs to the main house. Um, and the mudrooms at the bottom of that stairs where people take off shoes and also there's a hamper there. So when socks come off or when there's something, a, a T-shirt, you're done with the family habit is to just throw it down the stairs. And it, nine times out of ten, it does not go in the hamper. It just sits at the bottom of the stairs. So I told the kids, okay, when uh, when you leave for school and when there's bedtime, if every piece of clothing that's on the floor, you each owe me 50 cents. So you're in it together. Like you can't go, oh, I'm going to leave that there because that's Alex's shirt. So I, I'm not responsible for it because um, 
you're going to, you know, you're everyone's responsible for everything in that situation. And uh, actually, since since giving them that role, they 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 haven't had any times where there's been stuff on either of those windows. But that's not a great example of the help us figure out what the challenge, what the consequence is. Um, the funny thing is when it comes time to figure out what a consequence is, I'll have something in mind. And, and for us, the main resources, the main levers to pull were and still are screen time, desserts, and bedtime. Sort of the three big gotcha. levers. Bed, bedtime's a big deal in our house. Like uh, our our son still gets bedtime at 12. He wants us to hang out with him. And, and usually it's read with him or even just read next to him. But he doesn't like to go to bed and not have anyone around. Um, and we're going to ride that as long as we can because it's super sweet. Um, mm-hmm. and, yeah, shoot. Um, you can't say yeah. no to that. Right? Like, <laughs> right. There's, there's part of me that's like, you're going to let your, your son's got your 12-year-old son wants bedtime. Like, actually, yeah, no, that's fine. I'm fine yeah. with that. Um, in tw- and, you know, in 20 years, if he still wants bedtime, if he calls you up, Joe, you yeah. can go over there. It's fine, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't know about in 20 years. 20 years. Yeah, my 32-year-old son needs to work out his own bedtime challenges. Uh, so those those were kind of the three resources, bedtime, dessert, screen time, and uh, and then chunks of time. Like, okay, if, you know, if there's a big problem, if you – you know, if there's a big issue and you violate it, you don't get screen time for a week or days. Mm-hmm. Usually a day. One day is kind of the unit of measurement. And there was something, I forget what it was, but there was something I was trying to work with out with Alex, a change of behavior. And I said, so Alex, here's the thing we're going to change. What do you think is a good consequence for if you break this rule? And I'm thinking to myself, maybe you know, a couple hours, you know, every time you break the rule, you'll lose an hour of screen time. He comes back with, well, I think maybe if I break it, you should just take away screens for the weekend. I was like, holy crap. Like, <laughs> whoa, <laughs> you are tougher on yourself than I am. Um, which, uh, one, it was kind of uh, insight into his character, but two, also made it when I said, well, well let's, let's pull that back and we'll make it, you know, uh, you know, one, you know, a half day of no screens. Uh, it, it felt like, oh, dad's really awesome. Dad's super nice. There you go. Um, yeah. Reverse engineered to, a little. Back to what you had said, it's empowering. It's okay. Um, rather than just a passive you know, member of this group, you are an active part of the family. Mm-hmm. And that also means that you're we're going to make agreements and you're going to agree and be part of figuring out what happens when you do break family rules. I can tell that there's a lot feeding into the way that you parent just from, you know, what you've told me about what you do and some of the the things that you've studied, your wife has studied, just hearing about how you're handling conflict resolution, for instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I could hear a lot of that kind of as an underlying basis. And it also directly ties into what it's like to be a responsible entrepreneur. As, a, as, a, as an entrepreneur, you have to hold yourself accountable for everything. You, mm-hmm. you yep. are so, yeah, if you if somebody's leaving their clothes at the bottom of the steps, you know, you have to take responsibility, too. There's that underlying uh, what like some some rigidity, some discipline that you guys, I'm sure, have experienced through your careers that you're trying to translate into their lives. What other qualities do you feel are important based on your own entrepreneurial experiences? Do you try to instill in your kids a willingness to fail so and specifically that 
mistakes are not travesties. It's not a tragedy to make a mistake. Um, this is something that that we've dealt with with both of them about, well, in different degrees. There's some things where our daughter, Tori, will just be like, oh, yeah, oops, I made a mistake. We're like, no, no, no. There needs to be more thought about this than just, oops, I made a mistake. Like, like you've, you've damaged someone's feelings. You've, you've destroyed property. It's more than just a quick, I'm sorry, and then move on. Like, you need to actually, you know, fix the property you've broken or, you know, figure out how to replace that. You also need to make amends with the person you've hurt and then move on. Um, she's really interested in moving on before she deals with consequences. Uh, whereas um, our son, Alex will make a mistake and uh, flip into I'm, um, I, I've done a horrible thing. And it could be something like yesterday. Uh, Alex gets up in the morning. He's 12, so he plays Fortnite. And he, uh, we let him get on in the morning before and we sleep in. We sleep in to almost 8.30. Uh, which is that's know, a good sleep in man just kind of indulgent hey my, my wife and i so we had my my daughter over at my in-laws over the weekend and my wife and i slept in until like 9 30 <laughs> it gets crazy oh, man. i don't know that we could even maintain that but um leah is a very light sleeper and our bedroom is above the living room so alex it's okay for alex to play Fortnite, but if he gets on the headset and plays with his friends and his you know, barking out commands and, and talking, it wakes Leah up. She can't fall back asleep. We've told him. We've had this thing for months since we let him get on the headphones and, and play with the with the voice chat. In the mornings, you can't do voice chat until after mom gets up. And yesterday, he had forgotten about that. And we got up and mom says something. Well, yeah, Alex, you woke up. He goes, yeah, I was celebrating too hard. He goes, no. You were being really loud with your friends on the voice chat. And I said, Alex, you remember you're not supposed to be on voice, no headset before mom gets up. And he just went, cycled through crestfallen and then into defensive mode. Like, oh, I'm a horrible person. But I don't remember. We don't. When was that? I don't remember that. Dude, it's been that way for months. But it's been so long since I forgot. And uh, he can fall into that. And like, look, it was a mistake. And sometimes mistakes have consequences. This time it didn't, but there are times where you make a mistake, there's a consequence, mm-hmm. you learn from it and move on. Yeah, it's okay to exhibit the sign like of frustration. It's how you yeah. do it responsibly. Yeah, so I think the, the that being able to make mistakes and learn from them is a huge thing that we're trying to engender in our kids. Um, and also knowing when, like what spaces are mistake spaces. So practice versus playing time. Sure. Um, with Alex, it's been clear for a while. And, and with Tori, it's becoming more clear. They're both pretty athletically gifted for little kids. Okay. And Alex is one of those kids that picks stuff up really quickly. But if it's something he doesn't quick up, pick up quickly, it's like, yeah, now whatever. Like, I'm really good. Like, I learned this fast, so I'm going to do this. And this is taking time. So I don't know. Like, I don't want to deal with it. And so that... Uh, that actually might be a third point. The the merit of the grind. Yeah. Like yeah. like the the upside of going through lots of reps, even though they're not feeling great. Like he uh, loves playing basketball, and up until this year, he was one of the better kids around. And then everyone else started practicing a lot. Yeah. And he kind of fell behind them. Like, dude, instead of trying to make half court shots at recess, 
practice your free throws. Yeah. I know it's a lot less exciting, but it'll be... Uh, Is he receptive to that? You think, like, does he hear that and say, yeah, you know what? I really need to embrace the grind. No, no, not at all. No. Yeah, that just takes <laughs> discipline. He's young, though. You know, yeah, like, it'll, it'll work out. Um, I, think, I think he's got two examples of people that know how to kind of take a hit, get back up, take a hit, get back up. And I, I think that he's just, he's going to be just fine. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, it's one of those other things is that we talk about it. We're, uh, we're, we're doing great. Like we are, like he is the ethical, he's considerate, he's intelligent, he's, he's fit. We're looking at, um, you know, how do you get, from from good to to great as a kid and like yeah he's doing he's doing great he's doing well he's there there's not an issue and and with our daughter it's the same thing like there's um you know we're we're not worried about are they going to make it we're thinking Mm -hmm. like how can you be exceptional yeah we help clear the path teach you some stuff and and help uh put you in a context where you can succeed even more. You know, I always like to end the show on a note of words of wisdom. If you were to mm-hmm. provide some kind of feedback, maybe even think about like a younger Joe hood, yep. uh, what sort of words of wisdom would you leave our listeners? I think I, I touched on this a little bit, but to say it explicitly, your kids learn a lot more by watching you than they do by listening to what you say. Kids start they they learn from your behavior and either mimic it or reject it. Mm. It's one of those things where you either become your parents or the antithesis of them. Um, so watch, you know, be aware of, of who you are around your children uh, it, when you think about who you want them to become. That's awesome. That's a really good, that's a really good lesson. Uh, Joe Hood, you are an awesome parent. And I loved hearing all about how you do that thing that you do as an awesome parent. Um, where can people learn more about you and Mandatory Cocktail Hour? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So uh, I actually uh, went whole hog in uh, about a year or two ago and bought joehood.com as my domain. And that's J-O-E-H-O-U-D-E. Um, and that's where you can find everything I'm doing. You can find links to my work, the programs that I teach, uh, the activities that I design. You can find links to my writing. I've been working on a book around networks and leadership. And I'm actually also right now doing a little bit of writing about uh, lessons learned from America's Next Top Podcaster. Yeah, um, that's where uh, we met. And uh, it was an awesome, awesome pleasure uh, working with you and the rest of the team there. It was, it was yeah. tons of fun. That what was a, uh, what a ride. I think the my the best thing I've gotten out of that is the the people I've met. Uh, I think the second best thing has been the lessons learned about the art of podcasting, and I'm trying to write that down and and put that out. Yeah. Um, and then the third thing that uh, you can find there are links to different audio things that I work on. Like you mentioned, Mandatory Cocktail Hour is a podcast that I put out. It's about how our networks shape our leadership and how our leadership can shape the networks we're a part of. Um, I talk to people about their networking experience as they've made it through their careers. And I'm really focused in that show about hearing people's stories about connection. 
That's great. And uh, just to name drop a couple people, you've talked to people like Brian Brushwood, Scott yep. Johnson from Frog Pants. Yes. Um, all people that we've worked with over yeah. at America's Next Top Podcaster. So that's fun. Some of the other names outside of that universe, I had a chance to talk to Todd Etter, who's the chief creative officer at The Motley Fool. I talked to um, Sheila Heen and Doug Stone, who are two Harvard-trained negotiators who teach uh, work on difficult conversations. Um, I've got a podcast that I've recorded but haven't published yet with um, Susan Jaffe, who's the former prima ballerina of the American Ballet Theater. Wow. I'm talking about her experience. And I've got one scheduled with the General Martin Dempsey, who's a former Joint Chief of Staff chair um, who insists on being called Marty, which still upsets me. And just, <laughs> But um, he's got an amazing story. Uh, uh, he's got a book out called Radical Inclusion which is uh, I'm really excited to Ooh. talk to him sometime in the near future about that and what that means for networks and connecting. Um, so yeah, I'm uh, talking to people, I'm talking to anyone who will share their stories with me and trying to reach out and find as many different stories as possible because I've discovered I get really excited about the research around networks and leadership. More people get excited about stories than about research. And so I'm finding the best stories I can to uh to bring that research to life you got some quality interviews lined up man that's great uh so thanks for for being on the dad chronicle um and people go check out what joe does it's all very good so thanks joe say goodbye to the folks at home thank you alex and goodbye folks at home thanks again to our guest joe hood you can visit his website again that is joehood.com h-o-u-d-e is how you spell his last name Again, if you'd like to listen to other stories of fatherhood, visit thedadchronicle.com. Click that Become a Patron button at the top to support the show. And if you would like to contribute to the conversation, email thedadchroniclepodcast at gmail.com. You can follow me on all social media by just searching for Alex Albisu, at Alex Albisu. Last name is spelled A-L-B as in boy, I-S as in Sam, U. Thanks, and we'll see you guys next time. If you like this show, check out more great content at incastmedianetwork.com.